In order to attract the best talent, it's important that I have a plan for developing the team, not only just to scale the team, but to automate more and to get more processes built out like we're doing with our use case library for POCs. This lets me deliver value to the end customer that they expect. Welcome to Pre-Sales Heroes, the podcast by Vivin. I'm your host, Perry Bronson, and I am so pleased to have with me today Devo's Solutions Engineering Leader, Stephen Morrow. How are you doing today, Stephen? Doing really well. It's been a great day. Fabulous. And for the audience, we're here to talk about how you as pre-sales leaders can keep up for this tremendous and growing demand for solutions engineers, solutions experts, all of those roles, and really how you can win the war for talent in this highly competitive environment. Now, Stephen, we always like to start our interviews out with your hero origin story. I understand that you spent many years working in the technology space and sometimes even on the buyer side in IT. So how did you find yourself working as a leader in pre-sales? So I've done a lot of things in my career. I usually start with Verizon. That's where I spent probably the longest amount of time. And I, I went through a lot of different roles in IT. Everything from application development to work, you know, working in the data centers to you name it. And at a certain point, I, I started getting into the idea of, you know, I, I think I want to kind of develop more of the business relationships. And so I started um, kind of moving to vendor management and things like that. And as I, as I went that direction, I, I realized I had to do a lot of internal selling. <laughs> and the more I did the internal selling, the more I kind of went, you know, I, I kind of like doing this. Uh, and I did a lot of negotiations with a lot of different vendors. And I was like, I kind of enjoy this. And so as I, as I did that, I, I started kind of focusing more to get engaged with those vendors. That naturally led me into kind of looking at the sales profession as a whole. And then the obvious move for me was, well, I've got all this technical background. I've been in technology so long that the pre-sales role is just like a natural fit because I've already got that background. Wow. So you have a lot of empathy for your buyers considering this vendor management space that you've been in in the past. Curious, was there a particular pre-sales person that you engaged with at some phase in your career that inspired you to to take this different direction? That's a that's an awesome question. Actually, there was. There was a gentleman by the name of Jim Carlin, if he hears this, who was a sales engineer for Sun Microsystems, which is now Oracle. And I mean, just the way he handled things, the way he explained things, the way he went through the sales process. Uh, he worked with a, an RSM by the name of Corey Hirsch back then. And they, they really kind of taught me a lot about kind of how that process should be run because they ran it so effectively. I don't know that they know it, but uh, in a lot of ways, they kind of inspired me to, to take that leap. That's awesome. So it was basically a sales lead as well as the pre-sales duo working together that inspired you. Love it. And we will be talking about how you are partnering with sales in a moment. But before we get into that, Stephen, tell me a little bit about Devo. What are you up to there and how are you shaping your pre-sales org? Yeah, for sure. So Devo is a company that was founded in Spain initially. Uh, it's been it's ten years old, and we're in the sim space. Which it's funny because when you when people hear that you're in the sim space, they're like, "Oh, that's a that's a well developed space," and and it was. Uh, but much like any space, it can be disruptive. I mean, for instance, if we look at you know the automobile space, it's heavily disrupted now with things like Tesla and and you know moving to the move to electric cars. I mean, the automobile space itself is very old. But nonetheless, it's, it's being heavily disrupted. 
And I kind of view Devo in a similar way that we're heavily disrupting the market uh, against some of our competitors where there's a concept of how to do that, how to do that sort of security SIM logging and analytics space and kind of take that next gen SIM approach that, that just isn't there yet. So it's been really disruptive and uh, we've been making a lot of good headway. What does SIM stand for? Sorry, security. Security incident management. Got it. And tell me a little bit about how how are you structuring your pre-sales org there? Yeah, absolutely. So when, when I first came into the pre-sales org here, like a lot of traditional orgs, it was very heavily aligned on uh, like a, a mapping of sellers to pre-sales engineers. And, and while that can work, it at least in my career, I've kind of found that it, it leads to some sellers and you know pre-sales engineers doing really well, and the rest just kind of don't. So you don't get that kind of that, that transfer of knowledge between the, the very efficient and well-performing pair to the other groups. So when I first came in, I actually restructured it so that I could use the pre-sales engineers as a pool and start to kind of assign them out across the deals. Now, of course, if you have a large deal and it's, it's super important, you're going you're gonna to put your A player on that. But it, it started giving me opportunities to take these smaller deals that maybe some of these more experienced reps have and put them in with newer SEs. And then to have them have the SEs actually go on deals with those more experienced reps and vice versa, the more inexperienced reps getting with the more experienced SEs. And it led to a cross-pollination. Uh, and I actually used uh, Vivin's TMR process to kind of facilitate that, that as the TMRs came in, I assigned the reps out. That makes a ton of sense. And especially in such a technical, complex space that you're in, that you would want a lot of flexibility around the seniority and how you're pairing people. It almost kind of sounds like, you know, how an engineer, you might do pair programming to team up different people at different levels. And then sometimes you want to put your most senior together, actually, to, to really accomplish a, a big, hairy deal. And thanks for the shout out on, on TMRs. So Stephen is a gracious customer of Vivin, and I'm so pleased to have you here with us today. And what is a TMR? That is a team member request. So we're trying to bring not just structure, but also more automation and intelligence to how you're resourcing your team to make that more effective and streamlined. So a positive process for the sales folks who are requesting people, and then also to make sure that you're not over inundating with your pre-sales team with too, too many um, deals and so forth. So you mentioned you guys were founded in Spain. Curious how you're structured regionally and across different segments. So we have a, a structure in APAC, a structure in EMEA. We have roughly two structures in North America, um, and then they are further divided into named and enterprise accounts. And then we also have our public sector structure. So we're pretty well, pretty well divided out across those, and the pre-sales teams and all of those are growing. Sounds like a lot of a lot of teams and, and groups to be staffing. At Vivin, we just released a new benchmark report, and this was all around the state of pre-sales and also the state of hiring for pre-sales. So we found that over 200,000 companies have pre-sales teams today. Pretty amazing. 120,000 open recs are live, or at least at the time when we published. And there are 6% growth in year-over-year -year size of the team. So we're looking at a huge demand for pre-sales and I wonder, what is it like expanding your team and hiring in this incredibly competitive climate? It's definitely been difficult. <laughs> so we've, we've been expanding at, at an incredible clip, well, well past 
because the business the business has been expanding at that at a rate that I have to keep adding on. So I'm usually hiring between one to two to three people a month uh, on average. So it's it's moving very quickly. Wow, that does sound like a challenge. One to three a month. My goodness, you have your work cut out for you. And, you know, I I understand that you might be opening up the pool a bit more broadly in terms of applicants. Do you have any training processes in place to kind of help ramp people that maybe are a little less senior on the SE side? Yeah, actually, I think that's where a lot of that pooling has really helped out. So we, we do have some formal training and processes, right, that like every company does to, to walk them through technical training and to walk through a little bit of sales training and things like that. But, you know, if, if I think if we're all honest with ourselves as pre-sales leaders, we, we start to realize pretty quickly that these formal training sessions only take you so far. And ultimately, it's, a, it's the at-bats. It's, it's the chance to shadow your peers and to talk with them and to understand uh, how they approach problems that you actually learn the most. And that's where this this concept of assigning people and pulling people has worked really, really well, because it's allowed the really good habits to kind of rise to the top while the negative ones go to the bottom. And so I've actually managed to to pair up the pre-sales engineers as they go through, as as they come in and they go through training with other pre-sales engineers. And I've effectively got my team training each other. And it's proven to be just incredibly effective. And we've got a lot of diversity of thought out of it. So I've been very pleased with the success of that. It sounds like such a fantastic coaching program, and I think it's really important to not only help ramp your team, of course, and create camaraderie and team selling, but also to change the face of of B2B sales and pre-sales and to be more diverse and to have a plan to get more people involved in this profession since we do have the demand growing faster than the number of experienced professionals out there. Another thought on why why this is such an effective concept, let's face it, a lot of your star players out there are pretty darn expensive when it comes to hiring them. And so it seems like this model that you're taking, where maybe you take some more junior folks and people are just getting their, their foot in the door, you know, maybe they're coming in at a, a more reasonable baseline, but sure, you have to invest hours and, and maybe your ratios are different because they're coming in at a different experience level. What's your strategy around that? I've actually just recently rebaselined my titles in my organization to allow for more junior positions. Pretty early on here, I think in the first few months of me taking uh, taking over the team, I, I hired a, a sales engineer who'd never been a sales engineer before. And I did it as a little bit of an experiment. They had the uh, practitioner background, but they didn't necessarily have the, the sales expertise and all that. Uh, but during the interview process, I felt very strongly that the raw material was there. So, you know, I hired that individual in and, and using this coaching program, I mean, we, we've been able to make that, make it, make them very successful. That makes a ton of sense why you would be open to hiring more junior roles and, and maybe restructuring your titles a bit to support that. We all know it's really hard to find these unicorn SEs. Everybody wants them. They're the folks that can do it all with very little training and they're mythical. There's just not that many of them out there. So what can pre-sales leaders be doing to fill the demand for pre-sales? You gave some ideas around maybe hiring more junior, having a great coaching program in place. Any other ideas? Yeah, there's actually quite a few out there. I mean, some of the things that that I've done uh, in my team, at least to augment this is, you know, our, our offerings tend to be fairly technical and the audience that we're interacting with is fairly technical. So as a result, it's it's difficult to find any one SE, no matter how good they are, that can go through the entire product, know it all, keep up with the rate of change, and consistently explain it all just due to the sheer depth. 
So one of the things we've done is, is created kind of a SE level two, if you will. We, we use Solution Architect as their title here. Um, that are the more technical and specialized kind of SEs in a sense. So they may not necessarily big, uh, be as big towards selling. Uh, and I tend to describe all SEs as kind of either leaning more towards selling or more toward engineering, right? These are the guys who lean way more toward engineering, uh, but, but have that ability to go, to go deep into a topic, but still have enough sales sense to, to kind of know when to ask a question or when to you know, not say something, which I, which I think is kind of the determining factor of an SE. So it's is looking into that raw material around the soft skills. All the technical skills are great. They can be taught though. Two plus two is four today. Two plus two is four tomorrow. It, it doesn't really change much, right? Once you've learned a technical skill, I mean, it's going to get a little out of date, but the, the basis is still there. And with a little polish, you can bring that right back. The, the soft skills, however, are a little bit different, right? I mean, that you kind of have to have the raw talent there and then you have to constantly work and polish those skills. And I, I find that that's what really differentiates the role. So I've seen other organizations try to do things recently, like uh, combining sellers and SEs into one role, which I, I think mostly probably as a, I would have to assume as a salary avoidance mechanism. I wonder how successful that will be, uh, considering I watch the RSMs, in our case, that's our sellers, sell with the SEs and how they, they kind of partner up as good cop, bad cop, and how they kind of have a dynamic there. Uh, and there's a trust that's conveyed to the SC by not being the seller that suddenly they, they actually have, <laughs> have lost with they're both, right? So it, it's definitely been a challenge to find the unicorn. So the, the main way we've tried to handle it is just by breaking the roles apart into logical segments and then engaging them you know, where we can. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I've, I, I like how you have sort of two perspectives on how to how to fill this unicorn role. Like, not everybody is going to know all the technical skills to start, but maybe they're going to have a really good business acumen, and you can train up some of the technical skills. Whereas, other people are going to come in with that great practitioner background, but they're really going to have to learn how to work deals, how to work with sales, and ultimately having a good partnership with their their counterpart in sales is going to support them in either way. Do you divide up your deals at all based on how technical one of your SEs is, or is that where the sort of team selling comes in? It's actually interesting you bring that up because I do a lot of analysis before um, I assign an SE to a deal. And I've had, as I've expanded the org, people have been like, well, what factors go into it? And I've, I've kind of found that some of it is a little bit gut driven, right? Where it's not necessarily a hard science. It's kind of a kind of a soft science at best. And so when, when I get uh, a TMR request, which we described earlier uh, from Vivin, I ask my sellers to provide me discovery information. I ask them to provide me the information about the account. Who are we dealing with? What specific product area are they looking at? So I'm actually asking them to provide a lot of upfront, what I would consider foundational information. And then once I have that and regions, you know, all of that fun stuff about these sellers, I actually do a little bit of investigated investigation into those accounts. It usually takes me about 15 minutes to arrive at a conclusion of which SE would be best served to to help on this account. And then I make that assignment. I still factor in the, the personal relationship. I mean, we're always going to have personnel conflicts where one person doesn't work well with another and so forth. But what I've kind of found over, over time is at first there was a lot of resistance, particularly from the seller saying, oh, no, no, I need my specialized SE, my one throat to choke, so to speak. 
But my actually most successful sellers now are very content having a pool of resources. They actually prefer it because it's given them a chance to, to pull kind of the right tool out of the toolbox, if you will, and partner with the right solution engineer for the right task. And they, they found that to be very, very helpful. So it's, it's actually, I think, helped our productivity and uh, in, in our ability to win a deal by quite a bit. Great advice. Now, ultimately, whichever direction you take when it comes to filling these headcount and training up your folks and all the fun experimentation we can do with uh, how you structure the team, we all know that pre-sales is constantly bombarded with requests and the task lists and the expectations are just, they're not getting smaller, right? The, the list is growing. So how do you address this challenge of effectiveness and, and scaling and efficiency? Yeah, for sure. And I think some of it goes back to the fundamentals, right? And, I, and no one likes hearing that, right? <laughs> we all like to think we all have the fundamentals all the time, but I think we need some reminding often. And I found that customers have gotten more demanding. They're requiring a lot more proof before they purchase. And that, that means a lot more time and it means longer deal cycles. And, and if you believe the old adage, time kills all deals, then the goal should be to reduce that, right? And as a result, what we've done to try to accelerate that and to get the customer to a place to where they can evaluate the product in, in, a, in a relatively rapid fashion, but with confidence, right? And in order to do that, we, we have to kind of shortcut the process a little bit. So we, we've started working with customers foundationally from a discovery perspective to try to lay the groundwork right out of the gate of, hey, here's our proven methods of trying to do uh, an evaluation of a product. And so one of the things actually we've recently started to realize is our original approach was to kind of say to the customer, hey, what would you like to see? And, and the problem with that approach is it often leads to, well, I want to see everything. <laughs> and then it's like, well, you're kind of ignoring the customer's timeline and that's not not necessarily great so instead what we've you know kind of moved to do is we actually uh, acquired vivens eval product recently and if we're starting to drive toward building a use case library and then we're the the you know we're going to use that use case library to effectively kind of push to customers like a suggested path a more suggested path than we've had in the past um, and we found we found that approach already to start to is starting to pay some dividends so we're going to continue down that path, and and hopefully in in a few months I can come back and say, hey, that was a that was a great success. I know in the few pilot deals we've done so far, it has been. So is it safe to say that one of the reasons that we're seeing such a huge demand for pre-sales is actually because buyers are expecting to get into evaluations, and I mean it feels like it's table stakes, right? Almost every deal buyers are coming in with an expectation to get their hands on the product. And we know that's resource intensive. It's time intensive. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the software industry has been, been over-promising and under-delivering across the board for a long time, right? I mean, everybody's had a bad buying experience. I mean, I, as I mentioned, I was on the other side of the table. I certainly had my share of bad buying experiences where I was promised something and of course it wasn't delivered. People's careers are impacted by those types of events. And over time, you know, people get wary. And so they, they start to want to evaluate the product and, and they want to push a little bit to make sure that what they're buying is actually what they're expecting. So we're, we're definitely experiencing kind of an increased demand for evaluating the product. I'm seeing more and more products evolving into larger, kind of more complex situations, much like Devo is where it's like, we do a whole lot. So now I need a lot of specialists and there's a whole lot of ground to cover. And often that leads to scope creep, right? And getting that under control is has been part of the challenge, trying to rein the customer in and focus them on the areas that are actually gonna impact their business value 
and actually deliver value to them rather than the shiny new bobble that I've inserted into different parts of the product, right? Absolutely. And I think the buyer's use cases are becoming more complex. So not only do they expect to get their hands on the product and prove their use cases work, but there's an expectation that these use cases fit perfectly and that they're very, very easy to achieve. And I mean, this is also huge, hugely tied to product fit, right? Not only does it need to be easy to um, test out your use cases, but your product has to actually deliver those use cases. And having that tight, tight feedback loop with your customers, with the product team, is another thing that's falling on pre-sales, right? It's just yet another huge task on your list. Yeah, for sure. And I'd actually say it's even gotten bigger than that because products as, as products in the infra, in the enterprise is expanding in particular you know we operate mostly in the security space there's a ton of tool sets there's a ton of ways to approach problems and there's a huge issue uh, particularly at this at this moment in time when we have ge- some geopolitical stability issues going on it's kind of led to a place to where people are looking to try to see how they can protect their enterprise and as a result they're not looking at just one tool they're looking at a whole lot of tools which means that the integrations and how they're going to bring multiple tool sets together that, that we may or may not currently interact with starts to play into all of this. And, and I'm seeing this across the board. Uh, one thing I tell my team frequently is that, you know, if, if you don't really need an SE to sell Microsoft Word, and I know I'm picking on Microsoft there a little bit, but Word's kind of an evident product. We all know what it does. We, we understand what Word does and how to write a Word document. But when you get into these more complex solutions, which a lot of these are evolving into, it it becomes very necessary to have a a true technical expert or a series of technical experts uh, to make all those integrations work and to get into all those deep features. Absolutely. And it comes back to time, right? This takes a lot of time for the pre-sales team to execute in the course of a deal. And we're trying to make that go as quickly as possible. We actually have a pretty robust process when we go to POC of scoping it out, making sure that the customer's expectations for their success are jointly tied to what we believe we can deliver. And we have a full approval process that we've put in place along with scoping and such to ensure that we're not wasting their time and that you know they're not wasting our time, that this is mutually beneficial and, and will result in, in not only a deal for us, but something that they can use going forward. So that, that's been something that we've, we've put a lot of passion into and, and it's benefited us greatly. We, we often don't necessarily walk away from deals, but we often find ourselves restructuring our approach based on those kind of approval conversations and such. Fantastic. Sounds like your team is delivering a ton of value for your buyers, for your customer, for your organization. And yeah, having the data to back up those decisions and, and where you're spending your time, where you're investing is, is really awesome. And they focus on repeatability and automation. I love, but ultimately you're doing all of this to be more, more trustworthy and transparent with your customer. So I, I just think it's a really great way to look at how you're structuring your team and making them better. Steven, so one more question for you. And then I know you've got a busy day ahead, but I did want to touch base really quickly on your, your company kickoff. You had that recently. And so I just want to know, what are you most excited about for the next year ahead? What are you excited about for pre-sales and for your org? Absolutely. So from a company perspective, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see us continue to achieve the levels of growth that we've achieved so far and, and to continue to delight our customers, which has become actually like the focus of our company. Our uh, CEO frequently has pointed out that customer delight is our 
is our main focus, which I think is super inspiring and super important for us. So I'm very excited to, to see that continue. And along with that, I want to further improve the team, not only scale it, but automate more, get more of these POC processes and this use case library built out so that I can onboard quicker and so that I can provide to customers quicker the expectation of what the POC should look like and, and how they can ensure that they're going to get the value that they expect to get when they make a purchase of Devo. Wonderful. Sounds like really great goals and aspirations, and I'm sure that you'll be achieving them in no time. Absolutely. Looking forward to doing it. Well, thanks again so much, Stephen. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I really appreciate you sharing your insights with our community and look forward to talking again soon. Sounds great. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.